0: I'm Alex Wong and the Wong Takes start now. It's Tuesday, May twenty second, twenty eighteen. Another week in life that passed. And uh the first well, wanna talk about something today that happened on Friday, I'm sure many of you have heard, and that is the mass shooting that occurred at Santa Fe, or at a high school in Santa Fe, or Santa Fe High School in Texas, near Houston. Uh, Obviously uh, a tragedy, and there's so many parts that you could look into that incident, from gun control, to gun rights, to... All of the etc, but and, and that's obviously a discussion worth having, and it's one being waged all across the country right now in every classroom, in every workspace, in every household uh discussion about why did this happen, how can we stop this from happening uh, and obviously it's very politicized, but that's not what I'm here for uh. This is a sports podcast, and I think what one thing we can take away from this obviously horrible event uh, is something that's sort of a testament to the power of what these kids have that survived the shooting and what sports can do to help that. I mean, I think it's very powerful to see that, Just two days after this horrible event uh, where 10 lives were taken, uh, the Santa Fe baseball team chose, the baseball team at that high school, chose to play a game, a baseball game. They did end up losing, but that's kind of beside the point. Uh, They chose to fight through what they had been feeling and the tragedy that they had just been through uh, and go out and play a game. Uh, and that's kind of remarkable, the resolve that these kids have to show to fight whatever they're feeling and go out and perform on the field. And obviously that was of their own volition. No one was forcing them to play. Um, but I think it's a, it's, a, it's a sign of what sports can do, and that is provide a sort of return to normalcy and to say, you know, uh, we're, we feel sorry for those and their families that lost their lives. And we want to respect that. But, and at some point, life has to go on without them. Um, And I think sports are a, something that you can specifically point to and say this, we will fight through this horrible tragedy. This is, will not affect our ability to do what is, what we always do. And that is play. I mean, after... 9-11, one of the worst attacks uh, that America has seen, what was a major turning point in getting our resolve back and getting our swagger back after getting attacked was baseball. I mean, the World Series was played that year and one of the teams involved was the New York Yankees. And I think it was just two weeks after 9-11, the president of the United States came out in a Yankee Stadium that many—I saw a documentary on this. I mean, like many people were believe believed that Yankee Stadium would be attacked because it's the next place where you're going to get a bunch of people in one spot. Uh, and yet, despite all of the worries and all of that, the president of the United States, the symbol of what everything that we stand for, just went out and threw the first pitch, and he threw a strike, and they played baseball and they played a game. And it's a sign that sports help unify people. Sports help. I know it's said a million times, but it's really true after things like this. Sports help bring people back and make them remember that life goes on and you can obviously remember what had happened um, while simultaneously continuing to demonstrate that they're not going to let that that shooters or terrorists, they're not going to affect you and how you live your life. Um, So it it shows not only what these Santa Fe kids were able to do to come out and play play baseball, but what all of us can do, and that is take all the precautions necessary while at the same time continuing what we love to do. Um, And that's my little spiel on that. Uh, to what sports, the the power, the true power of sports. Okay, that was a little heavy, um, but I think it was worth it. I think we ought to see what, or think about, I'd like you guys to think too, think about what sports were able to do for us. But without further ado, let's get to what was going to be the first thing we talked about today, and that is the NBA Playoffs. Get right in. Um, first, the the only two series happening right now. First one is the Boston Celtics taking on the Cleveland Cavaliers. I don't think we really saw anything super surprising coming out of this series so far. I mean, what did we expect? We expected the Cavaliers to come out with LeBron James and a bunch of other people who were not going to be able to carry much of the load. Um, and the Celtics coming in with their young young legs, their excited legs, and they're going to be able to win some games, but they're not the most experienced team, and we knew that they were going to struggle in Cleveland, and boy, did they. Uh, Boston was able to take the first two games. Uh, they really exposed the supporting cast of Cleveland uh, and showed that without LeBron's help, or I mean, even with LeBron's help, I mean, LeBron has... Or LeMont scored 42 points in Game 2, and yet the Celtics still won by 13. Uh, and so it's going to be I, the, the, the real testament to this series. And what they, they always say is a series doesn't start until a home team loses. And we have yet to see a home team lose, with Boston taking the first two games uh, and, and Cleveland taking the next two games. I think when we went to Cleveland... Uh, we started to, I mean, LeBron James didn't even have a super dominant performance in Game 3. I mean, he only had 27 points, which is still a lot of points. Uh, But it's not the, the carry, the team type of points. And that's where we really saw Cleveland's supporting cast uh, come through and something we have really yet to see from them. And that's to the tune of guys like uh, George Hill scoring 13 points Corver getting 14, Love getting 13, etc. That's the type of performance you want to see from your Cavs uh if you need that for them to get a win. Uh same deal in game 4. I mean even though it wasn't the same. I mean I think Love only had 14 points. But you need some kind of supporting cast in order to win. I mean compare this to game 2 where like uh where was I looking at? Yeah. Like, LeBron had 42, Love had 22, Korver had 11, and then no one else scored in double figures. That's the type of game you want to avoid because that shows that your team is becoming super one-dimensional. I mean, Kevin Love and Kyle Korver get a lot of their points from the three-point line. So if your team is LeBron James on the three-point line, I mean, you're not able to establish an inside presence, and of course that's bad. Uh, You need to be able to punish teams down low, especially a team like Boston where they don't have a large block and a large stopper, uh, really, at that end. The series is ultimately going to, once again, come down to who can win a game on the road, if any team can win a game on the road. Cleveland hasn't shown enough to beat Boston on the road, because what they clearly need is, like, even in in Game 4, when Boston was down from pretty much all of the game, they were able to get it close in the last, like, four or five minutes. I think they got it down to eight or something. Uh, Boston's not going away, and if Cleveland doesn't have a perfect game in Boston, where you get contributions from guys like Korver, uh, where you get contributions from the rest of the backcourt, George Hill, um, you, you you're not going to be able to get the complete game that you need to beat Boston at home. Uh, Boston is too good of a team, and when when you when it comes to which team will have a better chance in the finals, uh, I think that. That still has to be the Cleveland Cavaliers. I mean, I know Boston has looked better in the series, and they've looked better in these playoffs. They look better in the regular season, but their youth, to somewhat, uh, to some extent, has been kind of exposed in in games three and four. I mean, they really weren't able to hang with the Cavs at all in in game three, and in game four, they only had certain little spurts of energy, uh, nothing that could be sustained and to beat a team like the Warriors or the Rockets. They can, win a game at, they can win games at home, but if a team steals a game on the road against them in, in the finals, they're going to be in really deep trouble, uh, and, and I don't think they can. And besides, I think the Rockets and the Warriors put the better records than the Celtics anyway, so they're going to come in with home court advantage. And the Cavaliers, at the end of the day, LeBron James is the best player on the planet. It's still not even close. And when you have that guy who can not only set up himself, but set up his teammates and run the show. It's impossible or really hard to beat him four times in seven games. If I had to predict how this series would go on, I would probably take uh, the Celtics in seven. Just because neither team really has shown me that they can win a game on the road. It's going to take a lot. For the Cavs, uh, to be able to win a game in TD Garden, the energy is always electric. Uh, the the build the garden is hopping, as I'm sure it will be. To, is it tomorrow or or uh, or Friday Thursday, or Friday? Um, but either way, exciting series. I look forward to seeing the rest of it. So let's hop over without further ado to Houston and Golden State. This was a series that everyone was looking forward to, and yet we've gotten three horrible games. Uh, Golden State won the first one by 13, and the score was not as close as that indicates. Houston beat Golden State in Game 2 by 22, and then Houston handed the Rockets their worst playoff loss in franchise history. With a 126.85 drubbing two days ago, or whenever, whenever this came out, May 20th. Uh, the game four is tonight. Very excited. Or I honestly, I have no idea when this will come out. But either way, game four is sometime. Uh, and, and it's going to be very exciting at Oracle. But let's talk about what has happened thus far. Uh, game one. I mean, I saw a bunch of things on on Twitter where it's like. Yeah, the Rockets worked all season for home court advantage. And then in 48 minutes, the Warriors go, and they take it away. Um, The Warriors are such a complete team. I mean, one thing I've noticed this year is that even when... Because back in, what, 2015, 2016, they were kind of a live-by-the-three, die-by-the-three team. Uh, And that can win you one championship if you get hot and stay hot. But as we saw in 2016 or 2017, when they lost to Cleveland in the in the championship, or no, sorry, in 2015-2016 when they lost to Cleveland in the finals. When you live by a three, die by a three, you can die by the three. You're not invincible. But with the addition of Kevin Durant, it has kind of made the league a bit unfair, but this team is so fun to watch, and it makes them unstoppable because now, when you have guys that are struggling from three, I mean, Durant is, what, seven feet tall? Might not be listed at it, but he's basically 7 feet tall and he can shoot over anyone's. And his mid-range jumper is so deadly. Um, and for people who are saying that the mid-range is dead, uh, I think this kind of disproves that. When Whenever the Warriors hit a slump, Durant just pulls up from like 16 feet on the elbow uh, and is able to get a jumper over anyone. And as long as he has that shot for him, he can always see the ball go through the basket. His teammates can always see the ball go through the basket. And they have a consistent stream of points. Uh, that's... Uh, obviously in a bit of an exaggeration, but it's tough for teams to stop that because Durant is always there at such opportune times. Uh, and that, that was shown in Game 1 uh, and to some extent in Game 3 as well. The Rockets, in order to beat the Warriors, are really going to have to catch them on, on a bad day. And by that, I mean not only Steph Curry not shooting well and Kevin Durant not shooting well, But also, they just need to get the whole team out of rhythm and just kind of catch them off guard, so to speak. I mean, in Game 2, I think the Warriors, even though they don't want to admit it, suffered from a bit of complacency. I mean, like, think about it. I mean, you're up, you just demolished the Rockets in Game 1 on their home floor, and you got the split you wanted in Houston, and now all you have to do... I mean, it doesn't really matter what you do, because you're going to have home court advantage either way. Uh, and, And complacency is just kind of a natural human tendency. I mean, there's no real, like, setting you can turn off. It's just going to happen. Uh, and there's nothing you could do about it. So I, I don't think the Warriors will suffer from that in game four just because of the fact that any loss will still uh, cause them to lose. Any loss at home will still cause them to lose home court advantage. They certainly don't want to go back to Houston with this series knotted at two. So I think they're going to come out with a sense of urgency. The Rockets are going to come out with a sense of urgency. I think Mike D'Antoni said today that uh, the Rockets are or should be more ready because they have more of a sense of urgency. But I think they both do. The Warriors not wanting to lose home court advantage, and the Rockets obviously not wanting to go down 3-1. Uh, so, uh, what else was I going to talk about? Oh, yeah. Um, also, Stephen Curry is back. He had an 18-point quarter uh, during Game 3 in the third quarter, where he went 7-for-7, seven seven, including a couple of threes and et cetera. And I, I've seen this phrase tossed around, and I think it really exemplifies what this Warriors team can do and what specifically Curry can do and why he makes this team so dangerous. And, and that's weaponized joy. I mean, to have a team beating you is is not enough. Or, I mean, is is a lot. Like, when, if you have a team like, say, the Spurs back in their heyday, which I think we could safely say they're out of now, when they were beating teams and they were super stoic, it's almost like, okay, we lost to a machine. We lost to... A team that came in more prepared than us, more emotionally prepared than us, um, and, and so be it. Almost to to a certain extent. I mean, obviously, no one wants to lose, but to a certain extent, that's what you feel. But then you go up against this Warriors team that's like high in and shimmying, and Javale McGee shooting fadeaway threes uh, with thirty minutes or with thirty point lead, and it's almost like, how are we going to stop this team? Because not only are they beating us, but they're having fun doing it. And that pisses off the other team that makes them have sloppy turnovers because all they want to do is just throw the ball in your face and technical fouls. And that's why Draymond Green gets so many under so many people's nerves and why he gets so many technicals because not only is he an aggravating person himself, but his teammates are aggravating the opposing side as well. So it's just a combination of all those factors. Uh, and I think to in order to beat the Warriors, what you kind of have to do is stop that weaponized joy. You have to catch them when, or cause them to have low energy. And that could be from just coming out with a quick start. That reduces the energy of not only them, but the crowd, which is still one of the best in the NBA. Uh, by catching them when they're complacent, like in Game 2, and that's how you can get to the Warriors. Uh, catching them just on and off night and it has to be a really bad night in order for them to not be as cocky or confident or brash or arrogant or whatever you want to say as they usually are. And I, don't, I don't, by the way, I don't think like those adjectives have to be bad things. Uh, I, I tend to agree with some of them. But either way, uh, that's, that's how you have to beat the Warriors. And it's really hard. I mean, no team has really been able to do it with the exception of the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, who did it that one year just because they were able to kind of take out the joy with LeBron James and also just Harrison Barnes not being able to shoot at all. Uh, but that's how that's how you handle the Warriors. And the Rockets are going to have a tough time doing that. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I look forward to the rest of the series. I think Golden State wins in six. Uh, I don't see them winning another game in Houston just because I believe they will win Game Four just on the strength of the team. Even though big news that Andre Iguodala is out, which is a tough blow for them because he's part of the Hamptons Five, uh, and he provides a big power source for them when they need it. But uh, and then Game Five, I do not see Golden State winning a clincher on the road. I think it's just too tough in Houston. Uh, James Harden and Chris Paul are used to playing there. They'll they'll love the environment. I think they'll feed off of it, and you'll see a desperation in them that you in a clo- potential closeout game that you would not have seen in a long time, uh, just with the success they've had this year. And I think Game Six could go to the Warriors. As well, all of this is hypothetical. I'm not going to make super outlandish predictions. Uh, I don't play the books. But uh, the Warriors will have a tough series ahead, and the Rockets will as well. Can't believe we're almost coming to the end of the NBA playoffs. It's been a fun ride. Last like five or six weeks. Um and that's that. Okay, next topic. Uh, I have a couple of options. Let's let's digress and go on to Johnny Manziel. Um, controversial topic as as per usual. Many of you might not want to hear about him. In that case, you could just skip this topic. But if you do, uh, I think he's a polarizing figure, and I think he's not necessarily the baddest guy ever. So let's talk about him a little bit. He, this. Uh, sometime this week, he announced he's going to play this season for the CFL's, Canadian Football League's, Hamilton Tiger Cats. Uh, And even though it might not be the stiffest of competition, I uh, I think he said something along the lines of, like, many successful people have come out of Canada, which is totally true. Um, And I, I think it leads kind of to a broader discussion about kind of second chances and who deserves them. I mean, you see guys like, Johnny Manziel, who have gotten many second chances, uh, DUIs to arrests to just crazy party behavior. And with these type of guys, uh, it's hard to tell if they can be trusted with responsibility like Manziel is going to get playing on a professional team again. Uh, But I think the the talent for him, the talent question for him is always there just because of his height but it it's kind of it's it's tough for him he's going to have to work really hard something i know he usually doesn't do uh and this signifies i think a starting point for him it's it's a place where i know the CFL is not the lowest level of american football out there uh second highest in fact but he's going to get a chance and i've heard him on scott van pelt show i've heard him elsewhere And he said how many times, how much he's changed. Uh, I think having a more recent, more committed girlfriend will help him as well, just because it'll help him rein him in a little bit and kind of give him a second opinion on all of his decisions, and he has something else to play for now. And he says he's changed. He says he's a new man. He says he's ready to take on the responsibility that being a professional quarterback entails. But I think I speak on behalf of everyone when I say we're not gonna believe him until we see it. Uh it's when when someone messes up so many times, it's hard to believe them unless they prove it to you. And that's why you always have that's why you haven't come in for tryouts, that's why you have him on your team. Almost a similar situation to the balls, I mean who just left out of Lithuania Lithuania. It's like you've had success, but not at the highest level. And we want to see you first, identify your flaws, identify what you've got, and this speaking on Scout's behalf regarding Manziel, before we actually commit money, time, effort, coaches, food, all of this stuff to you we want to see. And for him, for Manziel, the worst-case scenario is this could go wrong, almost like the Bald Brothers did in Lithuania, or like LaMelo Ball did in Lithuania, where you don't prove anything to anyone it's just your antics. You get a bad rap with teammates and, and nothing really good comes out of it. Or it could be like Leangelo ball. I, that's kind of the best case scenario here to the point where you're playing with lower competition. No one really, even though the CFL is not really compared to Lithuania's league, but you kind of get the gist, right? Like you played well, so we're going to bump up your stock a little bit. But you need to work a little harder before you're at that upper-level echelon. And I think that's what can happen with Johnny Manziel, where if he plays his way up, NFL teams aren't going to draft him right away, but they might start to give him serious consideration going back into the NFL because his talent is clearly there. Uh, We saw it at Texas A&M years and years ago and why he was the 22nd pick in the draft. I believe it was by the Browns. Uh, And why why he still is relevant. Because he's talented, and that's going to end up being his saving grace. So I wish him the best of luck. Uh, I hope everyone does well, uh, and I'm excited to progress follow his journey throughout the CFL. Thanks so much for listening. Sorry we got to cut it short today, uh, but you know what to do. Everywhere the long takes, hit the long takes Patreon.com slash the long takes the long takes at gmail.com. Leave voicemails. Uh, rate the podcast, iTunes, Google Play, subscribe. You know what to do. Thanks so much for listening. And I promise we'll be fuller next week, in which I will see you next week.